What are we to say about this account of Jesus' death? How should we respond? A man rides into Jerusalem in triumph, hailed by the crowd, setting the city abuzz. Less than a week later, at the insistence of the same crowd, he is crucified by the Romans, carrying out a verdict of blasphemy pronounced by the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of his people. Perhaps we should say nothing feeling that any response would be inadequate. We may just stand at a distance watching these things, as his followers did on that dreadful Friday. In many churches, the triumphal entry and the passion are read dramatically with the congregation asked to play the part of the crowd, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a few minutes later, Crucify him! Crucify him! This participation invites us to consider our own complicity in the sin of the world, which Jesus died to take away. We become like all the crowds who assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. But I have more in mind for us today than silent contemplation and corporate acknowledgement of sin, as important and worthwhile as they both are. I am remembering that when Peter first confessed Jesus as Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus at once began to prepare his disciples for his death in Jerusalem and his resurrection on the third day. If he was Messiah, what sort of Messiah would he be? He was not going to be a military conqueror. He was going to be a suffering servant. God's purposes for him would only be accomplished through his obedience, even unto death. And those who follow him must share in that destiny. For to the prediction of his death, Jesus added this invitation. If anyone would come after me, let him deny or disown himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So that is my text today. And my topic is taking up your cross day by day. The crowd hailed Jesus as Messiah and then turned on him to cry for his blood because, because he wasn't the sort of Messiah that they wanted. He came humbly on a donkey, not proudly on a white charger. He cleansed the temple rather than booting out the Romans. He allowed himself to be arrested and humiliated his special powers seemed to have deserted him. And once again, popular hopes for a deliverer from Roman oppression had been disappointed. If Jesus was not Messiah, and yet claimed to be Messiah, then he was a blasphemer. Crucify him! Crucify him! You and I may face similar disappointment when we hear Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. From Jesus, you and I want forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. We want help and healing and strength in this dark and troubled world. We want a secure and fulfilling life and heaven hereafter. But do we want to take up our cross daily as a requirement for following him? The passion is so full of degradation and suffering, culminating in Jesus' cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How could we want that? How could God want that for us? Maybe a few saints and martyrs are called to suffer for their faith, but to make this normative, deny yourself and take up your cross daily, maybe once or twice in a real crisis when our faith is on the line and consequences are grave, but daily? I think we must put the pain and shame of a Roman crucifixion in the background if we are to understand Jesus' meaning. Taking up our cross means simply obeying God when it costs us to do so. It means setting aside security, safety, satisfaction, success, reputation, popularity, freedom, and risking their opposites, insecurity, danger, hunger, apparent failure, ill repute, unpopularity, constraint for the kingdom of God. And we can only do this if we first relinquish ownership of ourselves and give over that ownership to Jesus. We do it by beginning each day in humble expectation. Lord, this day is your gift to me, a redeemed sinner. What have you for me to do for your kingdom? It may be a relationship to end or to begin with a stranger, an addiction to challenge, a stand to take in the workplace, a statement to make in the course of class discussion. Sure, you must carry on with your life, pick up your dry cleaning, pay your taxes, call your mother, shop for groceries, get to work on time. But be ready to be interrupted, challenged, and surprised by God for the sake of the kingdom. Be ready and be willing. The cross is really a canceled eye. The universal crucifixion for Jesus' followers is a crucifixion of the autonomous self. And if it is to be done at all, it must be done daily. Obey God when it costs. Take up your cross in small things so that you will be ready when and if big things come. As we consider the triumphal entry and the passion, we find helpful lessons for our daily dying to self in the experience of Jesus. 
In his triumphal entry, Jesus shows the world who God has called him to be, Messiah and King. Nothing is hidden or glossed over or understated. This demonstration seals his fate. It determines the inevitability of his death. But it is intended by God as a last chance for Israel to acknowledge her Redeemer King. So you must show the world who God has called you to be. Don't hide it. Exercise your spiritual gifts in ministry and confess Christ. Do not deny him, but confess him before men and women when the occasion warrants. As St. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Judas' betrayal of Jesus reminds us not to put our ultimate trust in any human relationship. You and I are too weak and sinful to sustain the weight and responsibility of another person's total commitment. And they are badly misguided to make that commitment to anyone but God. In Gethsemane, Jesus struggled to accept his Father's will that he must die on the cross, separated from God by the sins of the world. The horror of this prospect was almost unbearable. But Jesus shows us both honesty in expressing his reluctance and ultimate submission if the Father truly requires it, as he did. So when taking up our cross, means that we anticipate a coming trial of faith and fortitude, we need to be honest with God in expressing our feelings and asking to be spared. And we need to be obedient in confessing Jesus. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. During the trial, you will have noticed that Jesus convicts himself in answering the high priest's demand, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Indeed he is, Jesus replies. And the council's verdict of blasphemy requiring death follows. So when you and I are asked about our identity as Christians, affirm it, insist on it, do not lie. Do not hide. Do not temper your response. You may not have sought the question, but you must not shrink from it when it comes. During the hours on the cross, Jesus is increasingly alone. The disciples have fled. The women and John stand at a distance, perhaps kept away by the soldiers. Even his communion with his Abba, his Heavenly Father, is broken in the cry of dereliction. But we, thank God, are called to suffer in our obedience in community. The community constituted by the shared bread and wine of the Last Supper, of which we heard, and now as constituted by our Eucharist, that community is the church. Through fellowship groups and pastoral care, 
We can draw on the reserves of support and counsel if our taking up our cross brings us to a painful crisis. The final thing we learn from Jesus' example is we obey him by taking up our cross, that is, obeying God when it costs us to do so, is how grounded are the events of the last week of his earthly life in the larger story, the fulfillment of God's purposes in scriptures. These events are not presented as chaotic and random events, out of all control, tumultuous and evil. God is at work throughout them. What happened had to happen. All this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, says Jesus, when he is arrested. Then, we read, all the disciples left him and fled. But don't you do that. By study and meditation during the Lenten season, you have immersed yourself in the great story of God's redemption of the world. By faith, you now know your part in it and your stake in the world that is to come. Jesus understood his place in the story and it strengthened him in a tumultuous and painful time. Join him in that understanding, especially when your road grows rough and the rejections multiply. Well, how, we think honestly, is all this possible? To live not for ourselves, but for another? To suffer for the sake of the kingdom? To stick out as a follower of Jesus in a hostile world? To know and live in the larger story of which we are but a part? It is possible, because Jesus is not only an example in his passion, death, and resurrection, but through them he becomes the Redeemer, who makes it possible for us to do the things that he has done, and greater things, or so he says. And so we close with these hopeful words of St. Paul. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And now the punchline. For our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in that hope, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Amen.